I'm Jane Leader, and you're listening to Older Women and Friends. You know, we older women have a lot to say about love, grief, loss, and resilience. We're more comfortable speaking our truth. We've been good scouts and earned our badges, and now it's time to change the perception that the gig is just about up, when in truth, the second wave of the gig has just begun. We are the matriarchs, the women at the top of the food chain, and we've been given the precious gift of passing along the wisdom that we fought so hard for. So let's build a community of older women, women who are strong, self-fulfilled, and a hell of a lot of fun. If you're like a lot of older women, you're thinking about where to live at this point in your life. Should you stay put or should you downsize and move because you find keeping up a large home something you no longer can or want to do? Or you want to move to be closer to family. You love your home and hate to leave it behind and you worry about making new friends and adjusting to a new community. And perhaps most important is the thought of having to clear out your home to get rid of stuff, a task that seems overwhelming. Regina Lark is an organizing and productivity specialist. Who knew there was such a thing? She and her staff help people who want to clear clutter and chaos from their lives. She is the author of Emotional Labor, Why a Woman's Work is Never Done and What to Do About It, and Psychic Debris Crowded Closets, The Relationship Between the Stuff in Your Head and What's Under Your Bed. So glad to have you with us today. Welcome. Thanks, Jane. Nice to be here. So yours is a very unusual profession. So how does a woman who has a PhD become an organizing and productivity specialist? Oh, it was easy. I had to eat. (laughs) (laughs) So you're saying that you got into this field because a woman has to eat, but there must it must have been something else because there's so (laughs) many opportunities out there. So... In June of 08, I had started looking for jobs just to see. I started networking with people who I thought had cool jobs. It's like, well, what's available to me? And then I went to visit a very good friend of mine in Jerusalem. And while I was there, I said, Nadra, I don't want to be a tourist today. How about if I do your kitchen? And she said, Habibdi, what does that mean? And I said, Nadra, your girls are in their 30s. You got sippy cups in the cupboard. Just let me do what I do. So I did what I do. I did what I did. And it was a good result. I decluttered and organized her kitchen. I I say this very honestly, that at that moment, I recognized that the goddess of jobs was doing for me what I could not do for myself. I'd love to know whether you come by being a, I'll call it a neat Nick, but that's not the correct terminology, but a declutterer. In other words, what did your house looked like prior to this or your apartment or what was your room like when you were growing up? So Jane, here's what I have learned along the way. The people who have clutter, people who need people like me, are usually folks who were born with a brain type that doesn't, that doesn't make it easy to plan, process, sequence, 
do things in a linear way. Uh, people who need people like me often have a really shitty relationship with time. They are emotionally mismanaged in some way. So a perfect example for me for that is the ubiquity of public storage units. <laughs> and I think this is the land of emotional mismanagement. This is the land of, I think I may need this someday, or the land of how can I ever let this go? Look at how it came into my life. And these are all perfectly legitimate ways of, of viewing their world. I, I, I can't judge that. So in my family of origin, there are six of us, four of us are like me, two of us need us. <laughs> the, question is, the question is, are they willing to admit the fact that they need you and to let you into their homes? Oh, but Jane, these are my, this is my family. So, of course, I've been decluttering my mom and my younger sister for forever. I mean, there's there's no judgment there. So what I've discovered and, and, I'm, and I'm just naturally wired in this manner. I have certain principles that I've come to understand that I actually live with. I didn't identify them before I got into this profession, but the principles I'm able to live because my brain is wired a particular way. I've got good executive functioning skills and the executive function part of our brain is what got us here on time today. You know, I have a good internal clock. I'm emotionally managed. I, I don't have particular attachments. I mean, sure, there are some things that I love and I will never let go of. I have a set of peace flags on my wall. And they were draped across the shrubbery as I walked onto my campsite at the Michigan Women's Festival. My sister had set up my campsite. So there are, of course, things that I hold near and dear to my heart. And there's a lot more than I don't. So when I started this work, I came across my first few clients you know, one woman was, uh, her mom had passed and she had brought all her mom's stuff to her house. And I was there about 15, 20 minutes and she held up a rather benign item, object. And she was asking, it was, it was like an embroidered eyeglass case. And she says, is it okay if I let this go? And I thought to myself, wow, you just met me and you're asking permission. And I thought that was very interesting. She just had met me this was an object that she associated with her mom. So I said, sure, let it go. And another woman, we were there. I was there to help her work on paper clutter. And we set up the next appointment. And I said, before I come back next week, why don't you work on this pile right here? And she goes, sure, sure, no problem. I go back the next week and there's piles all over the place. And again, it was very curious to me. Nothing to label or judge, just like I would have done that. And that's when I began to understand that not everybody's wired like me because I'm an educator at heart and I love being educated. I um, took advantage of coursework and training through what is called the Institute for Challenging Disorganization. Oh, interesting. And I learned about working with people with brain-based conditions. And what I learned about that is brain-based conditions anxiety, depression, ADHD, neurological challenges, they impact the executive functions of the brain. So naturally, the type of folks who need us 
are dealing with these these brain, I don't know how else to say these brain based conditions. And even the most organized person, when they're involved in a major transition, life transition, marriage, death, birth, divorce, cancer, COVID, okay, these major life transitions can get even the most organized person off her game, but they can often regroup once things settle down. Folks with executive function challenges have a hard time with the, with the regrouping Does that mean that people with a brain-based condition not only need someone like you, but also need some psychological help or need to see a therapist? Oh, hell, everybody needs to see a therapist. (laughs) I mean, come on. Who doesn't need a mental health professional in her life? There's so many challenges and life things that come up that, you know, it's just great to run it by somebody. So if it's not a licensed mental health professional, life coaches. You know, we have we have so many amazing resources available to us to help us get us back on track. And it's a matter of it's a matter of recognizing it. It's a willingness to change the narrative. It's a willingness to um, quit labeling, judging, and resenting yourself. Well, it's interesting to me also because I was reading some statistics, one of which was the average U.S. household has only 300,000 things ranging from paper clips to ironing boards, and also that the federal government estimates that about a quarter of Americans with two-car garages don't use them for cars because they use them to store their stuff. It seems like a part of our society and something that might be very difficult to turn around. It can be. It really comes to, you know, so the folks who call us for decluttering and organizing help, one of my ideal, if you will, client types are professional women between the ages of 40 and 75 because they're the ones primarily responsible for everything in the household. It's so unfair. They they have a huge body of work and knowledge that nobody questions and nobody helps them with. And so they are the ones that are um, trying to figure out how to get it all done. Their adult children's things have come to their house. I mean, I see this all the time. And so they call us because they have tried every which way they could to get organized. They might have worked with a professional organizer, but no one's talking to them about the the brain action part of it. And most of the women that call us already feel diminished in some way, that they're not able to fulfill a cultural ideal of what it means to be female in the home, or they compare their space to Pinterest pages, or they believe that there's something wrong with them, that they can't get that together. So they call us because they really feel that their back is up against the wall. And another thing that I think about, the work of the household, you know, come on, we've been sold to bill of goods. It's a labor of love. Yes, but it's also labor. (laughs) It's also a lot of labor. It's the longest job description in history. So as a result of that, the work is seen as easy. And 
the work may be easy for someone whose executive functions are, are running on all pistons. But if you are someone who's living with these other brain-based conditions that no one's talking about, no one's saying the reason why you may have a messy house is because you don't have good access to your relationship with time. So it takes a while. Often it takes a while for someone to call us because they feel like I should be able to know how to do this. I should. Women are raised. We teach our daughters how to play house. We're raised and socialized to do the work regardless of it's a skill set or not, because the same the same cognitive skills to be a CEO of a multi-million dollar business, the exact same cognitive skills are needed to run a household. So, but the household part, well, we don't pay we don't pay wages. We don't pay housekeepers much money, although some people would think they are paying a lot. I, I read a statistic that if every single full-time homemaker globally walked off the job to replace that person in some in most industrialized countries would be $150,000 a year or more. That includes the overtime. Do you know what I mean? And so when you think about this huge body of work that is individually, each one of them are easy to do, vacuuming easy. They're also supremely important to the to a well-ordered home and the functioning of a family taken as a whole when this is not a skill set of yours. It's it's a train wreck ready, ready to happen. So now I understand a very logical connection between your two books. <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but your most recent book is the emotional labor book. Am I correct? Correct. And it is subtitled, and if I blew it the first time, I apologize. I'm going to get it right now. And it's why a woman's work is never done and what to do about it. And uh, you've just answered a lot of my questions about how these two books and these two subjects meld and work very well together and how one just seems to segue right into the other. I am so taken. I just love the subtitle of your other book or, or the phrase, how does stuff in our head relate to the stuff under our bed? And when I first read that, I thought, well, that's cute and it rhymes, but I'm not exactly sure. And I think you've spoken about it just now, but if you could kind of give us a quick sort of summary of why that is such an important tenant of your work and of that book? Well, I work with a lot of mental health professionals because I run a group for adults with ADHD. And so I'm always looking for speakers and I always need professionals to refer clients. And what I've discovered in my journey with with mental health professionals until they meet me is that their clients are coming in for depression, anxiety, marital discord, and they are not talking about the clutter because they bifurcate the challenges. Again, the, the, the stuff going on in the household in terms of stuff and clutter, that seems like a separate animal to interpersonal relationships. I walk into the primary bedroom of adults and I think, ain't no love happening here. 
<laughs> because it's so crowded and cluttery. And so then I tell, I, I talk with these mental health professionals saying, is there anything on your intake sheets? Do you ask any questions with new clients to describe the surfaces of their home? No, I've never been don't. asked that question. That's for sure. Nobody's asking that. And, I, and that's curious to me because it's curious to me on a lot of levels. We're always bringing stuff in. The executive function doesn't allow us to manage emotionally, imagine our, uh, our time. So I, I'm understanding that earning an MFCC or a PhD in clinical psychology, no one's talking about clutter. I've accepted that. But what I see, so for example, I come across homes where there are a lot of empty picture frames <laughs> that our clients want, you know, in order to fill the picture frame, You've got to identify the picture, make sure it's the right frame side. There's, there are many steps, all of these invisible tasks related to putting a picture in a frame. And when I see empty picture frames or when I see huge debt because we're in the financial papers, when I see massive clutter, I think, what's the relationship here? How do you feel about yourself versus how you're dealing with the, the stuff on the surface. So many people tell me that they carry a lot of shame and a lot of despair. I clean it up, but it comes back. And so what is that relationship? When I hear I clean it up, but it comes back, I say it doesn't have legs. There's something that's happening that you are continuing the habit or the behavior to, to make that pile. And so, well, what is it? What's the, is there a block here? You know, I hear stories about, you know, childhood traumas that directly relate to an inability or it's like a, it's a, almost a protest, a, a rage against a parent. So there's all kinds of reasons why. Who would have thunk that? So I guess um, <laughs> before I let you go, and this is fascinating, and I wish uh, I didn't have a time figure here, but for women who are listening and men, just a few practical tools aside from getting some therapeutic help. How do we figure out what to discard and being able to distinguish between the necessary stuff and the unnecessary stuff? Well, of course, that's an individual concern. It's what, you know, how do you tell the difference between need versus use versus want versus desire? What does it mean to be organized? Being organized for me means being able to take something out when I need to use it and to put it right back very easily. That's a principle of mine. A lot of people have clutter because they have such a lousy relationship with time that it's hard to activate on a project. There's not an easy answer. You know, the things that get to live with me, what gets to live with me? What has, the, what has earned the right to live with me? Another principle is it has to lift me up intellectually it has to feed me aesthetically, like my peace flags, or it has to feed my tummy or it's shampoo, right? It's activities of daily living, the things I need to just coffee. Coffee has the right to live with me. <laughs> um, clothes that don't fit, I don't want them around because I only have this much closet space. Do you know what I mean? So I think of things in practical terms. People with clutter, it's, it's the executive function part of the brain. So 
It's coming to understand what really brings you up and elevates you. It's, it's looking at the holding on. The holding on is, I've noticed people hold on for one of two reasons, or both. They either hold on to things they think they may need someday, but they're not able to identify someday. And they're convinced that if they let it go and someday comes, something awful is going to happen. They catastrophize the outcome of someday. So they hold on to it. They're afraid of letting go of that future, that someday. They're also holding on to things from the past. If I, let's, one guy said, if I let go of all my concert t-shirts, how will anybody know I used to be cool? I'm like, dude, you're so cool. <laughs> it looks different at 80 than it did at, at, at 25. It just looks different. It doesn't make you any less cool. It just looks different. And so, but there's fear of letting go of the past because of what we've built up about our past, what we think these things say about our past. And so there's a fear of letting that go. And so when I see people have a fear of letting go of the future, I may need it someday, fear of letting go of the past, who am I without it? I notice that people are living in fear in their present. The present, the present becomes a place where fear is dictating your decisions. I think these questions are fascinating and crucial. And I'm hoping that women who are listening and are either interested in decluttering their current homes or in many cases are thinking of moving and how the heck to determine what stuff they're going to take and what they're not. And those two questions seem perfectly relevant. Can you tell the listeners how they might find more information about you? I would direct them to N-A-P-O, napo.net. NAPO is the National Organization of Productivity and Organizing Consultants, Professionals. And all they have to do is type in their zip code and they'll find a me. No matter where they live. No matter where they are in the world. (laughs) There are, you know, the, the, the industry has grown exponentially. We're on many continents now. It started here in Los Angeles in 1984. So yeah, so and then just Google my name and I'm I'm proof positive nothing ever leaves the internet. (laughs) Exactly. This has been fabulous. I know I've used that word multiple times. Uh, As a writer, my uh, vocabulary ought to be a bit more expansive. (laughs) But for day, that's the adjective that's coming out. But it really has been a pleasure. And thank you very much. This was really fun. Have a good rest of the day. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Older Women and Friends. And speaking of friends, please tell yours. And if you're interested in reaching me with comments or suggestions, you can do that by emailing me at olderwomenandfriendspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can check out my blog at 70andme.com, and that's 70, the letter N, me, 70andme.com. Until next time.